What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 19 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where I sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is an honor to be on this journey with you as you are seeking to be the leader that God created you to be in the place that God has put you. And I hope today that our time with our guest helps you lead with your faith out in front and understanding that that, that faith that God has put in you, man, it can be something that drives you not only to be good, but to be somebody that makes a mark for years and years to come. Well, today, you're really going to enjoy our time. We're sitting down with Molly Fletcher. If you don't know Molly, her her nickname for many years was the female Jerry Maguire. She negotiated the contracts for people like John Smoltz, Aaron Andrews, Tom Izzo, Doc Rivers. Now she travels the country giving major speeches all across America to large organizations on motivation, on leadership, and on becoming the person that you were created to be. You, I love, I love one of the quotes of Molly. She said, you got to want it so bad it'll suffocate the fear and negativity that will enter in at times. Molly, I know, reaches back to her time at Michigan State University, where she's already received the Outstanding Alumni Award, but to her time as the captain of the tennis team. Today, Molly is making a difference. If you've not downloaded her podcast, the Game Changer podcast, it is a it is on your must listen as she puts out some incredible episodes that challenge you, inspire you, incredible guest. And I know one she's on my on my top five uh, podcast that I listen to. And so I hope you'll tune in to hear Molly. But I can't wait for you to sit down and hear our conversation. She is a phenomenal person, incredible sense of humor. But what I love about Molly is she gets it. I know she delivers 60 plus speeches a year across the country, but she's incredibly friendly, incredibly kind. And today you're going to see why her why makes such a difference in who she is. So pull up a chair and listen in to my time with Molly Fletcher. All right, Molly, thank you so much for being a guest today on Lynch with a Leader. Oh, well, you know what? It is an absolute pleasure and an honor. I'm certainly humble. Thank you for having me. You know, I think it's so easy, Molly. I was reading your resume from from Michigan State and being a tennis captain to moving here to Atlanta. We always have that tendency, I think, in life to look at where someone ends up, but never really respect what it took for them to get through what they got through. What are some of the obstacles you faced in this journey to get where you are today? Well, you know, wonderful question. I mean, I think, I think some of the, you know, obstacles for me was, you know, I lived in Lansing, Michigan, and I grew up there all my life. And, 
very, very close to my mom and dad, and my brothers are five years older than me. And and I think subconsciously, truthfully, at a young age, I mean, a young age, meaning sort of middle of high school, I went, boy, I am so close to my mom and dad. I don't know if I can make it if they're not here beside me. Like I, And I knew that I had to grow up, and I knew that I had to broaden my wings. And then I started thinking about what I wanted to do and and why I wanted to do it. And I started to realize that that sports marketing was a place I wanted to live in and, and that I loved being around peak performers and I loved being around athletes, the mindset of athletes and coaches I just had a passion for, but I didn't have a lot of money to sort of explore this. And in the sports marketing business, you know, you start out, you don't really make any money at all. And yep. so I, I knew that I needed to probably leave Lansing and go somewhere where I could could really immerse myself and, and network my head off to find um, people that would be kind enough to give me advice and feedback and support. And, and so probably my biggest challenge was truthfully just scraping up some money through teaching tennis and, and, and leaving what was really a really safe environment. And that was scary because I didn't know what that would look like. And I, I don't even think I knew what I didn't know. And and so I took 2000 bucks and, and, um, you know, that story is pretty public and moved down to Atlanta, but you know, from, from sort of a resource perspective, it was hard, I think a little bit. And, and then certainly leaving the two most important people hands down in my life, uh, was, was really hard to do, but I knew that I needed to do that to sort of be myself and do and, and spread my sort of my own wings. How, were they pretty supportive of that trip? I mean, were they, I know that I'm sure they were fans of yours, but with their daughter, their sweet, innocent daughter moving down to the big city of Atlanta <laughs> to get ready for the Olympics, how did they handle that as parents? Well, you know, the truth is they thought I'd be back in two weeks. I mean, they really <laughs> did. I mean, they, 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 they were completely supportive because they thought that there was no way I would they, I, they, they believed in me and believed in all that. But even all my parents' friends, still when I go home, go, man, we still can't believe that you, you know, have made your life in Atlanta because I was, I, I am unbelievably still, I'm 46 years old. I call my mom and dad every day, talk to them once or twice a day. No matter where I am in the world, I am, uh, you know, that is just a part of, of my day. And so um, you know, I would say we're as close or closer than ever before. And, you know, their support has, has never diminished along the way. And, and it's just been, been fun for all of us. Certainly. Did, was, were there times at the beginning there, Molly, when you were trying to find your place here and trying to break in, were there times that you thought, golly, I'm just going to head back home. I, this isn't, this isn't worth <laughs> it. Was that a constant struggle? Well, you know, so when I got down to Atlanta, I, I networked a ton and I quickly found myself with an opportunity um, through some networking and some great relationships that I sort of started to build working for Lehman Bennett, who was running yeah. the Super Bowl uh, host committee in Atlanta. And it was Super Bowl 28. And he hired me to answer the phones. And I worked for this woman who was very difficult. I mean, she would leave people on hold. And I'm talking about like Paul Tagliabue, the commissioner of of the NFL at the time, you know, the head of marketing, the CMO at Coke and at the time Bell South and Home Depot. And I mean, and I was the receptionist. So I'm answering the phone, putting like all these big cheeses on hold and she'd just keep them there. And I'd run around the corner to her office and go, 
you got, you got, I mean, you know, it's Mr. Tagliabue, you know, it's Commissioner Tagliabue, you know, or it's the head of FEMA. And she'd go, I'll be there in a minute. I'll be there in a minute. And so I was constantly having to sort of try to protect her and save face, you know, that, that Tagliabue didn't think I was a knucklehead that didn't know how to get him through to the right people. So there was days, you know, and it was the winter. And so I would get in my car and I'd drive down and it was at the Atlanta Paramount downtown. Ironically, that's where our offices were. And I would go into this building that literally still to this day, there are no windows. And so I would drive down early in the morning and it'd still be dark. And then I would leave and it would still be dark. And I would call my mom and dad on the way down and on the way back. And, and most days, not all days, but a lot of, I'd say half the days I'd call my dad in tears. You know, I just, dad, this lady is awful. I mean, she isn't treating people right. You know, I'm worried it's making me look bad. You know, I, I, she's goofing around and not taking tagly. I mean, it's crazy. And, you know, he would just say, well, honey, come home, come home. And, and, you know, what my parents though also taught me was finish what you start. And, you know, my mom, huge proponent of that and you finish what you started no matter what I mean it didn't matter you know whatever I mean you finished it and so I said well I know dad maybe I will but I got to finish this thing I mean I told Liam and I do this I got to do this and and by the time I got done I built so many awesome relationships through that pretty pretty tough journey Lehman was amazing but this woman was tough that I that I found, you know, enough people that I felt like liked me enough to help me. And, you know, so I just kept exploring and staying curious and, and, and finding a way. But to answer your question, there was absolutely lots of days like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, you, you look back and we're about the same age, I'm 48 and you look at that and technology wasn't what it is now. So that distance even felt more than because, you didn't see them on FaceTime and you couldn't catch them on Skype. I mean, it was, there really was a chasm at that point, even talking on the phone cost more back then. And a young lady in a big city, did you know then what you wanted to do here? Or did you just know, I want to be in the sports space. I want to make a mark. Where were you in that? Did you know what that mark would look like? I had no, I really didn't. I mean, I just knew that I wanted to work for somebody, you know, that wanted to help, that I could obviously help and serve and support, but somebody that I could, you know, that wanted to help and support and serve me too. And so, um, but to answer your question, I, I truthfully, it wasn't like I came to Atlanta and said, I want to be a sports agent. I came to Atlanta and said, and what I did was, you know, when I worked and I tell young kids this all the time, right, that, you know, don't put too much pressure on yourself on that first job because it may not be the right one, but it will, what it will teach you is what you don't love. And it will teach you things ab- about what you do love. And what I realized through that experience was I didn't love the event planning business. And that wasn't something that I wanted to to be a part of. I mean, it was so climactic and, and then it would end and lots of sort of fire drills. That's just not how I sort of like to operate. And so, and and then, you know, over time I found myself, you know, with us, with a young agency in Atlanta and, and continued to sort of evolve there. But, but, you know, it, I think, you know, one of the things I'm a big fan of is if you wake up every day and stay curious and creative and follow your heart and try to solve problems, pretty hard to go wrong. It really, it really is. 
It really is. But I think as we get older, it's easier for that curiosity to go, well, I've, you know, I've arrived a little bit and we can lose that edge. Do you find that that helps you today even keep that edge, that curiosity piece? You know, I think it's imperative. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, we, we are, we're born with this inherent curiosity as kids, you know, from everything from learning to crawl, to walk, to, to just exploring this whole new big world that we're in. And somehow then we go to school and we have to color inside of the lines. And, you know, we got to go to class. We got to, you know, we get put in a box a little bit. And, that, and all that's okay. That's how we learn and evolve and grow. But, uh, but there's no question in my life when I look at great leaders today and I look at the common denominator, I would say there's no question one of them is that they're tremendously curious. And that curiosity drives connection for the, the, the people that they lead. Um, the organizations that they're a part of, and that connection drives, you know, in many ways, often obviously results. So, you know, I think my curiosity is continuing to to uh, to evolve, and and it's you know it's it's a really big part of of who I am, but I think it's a really big part of people um, that that are curious about how to get better, right? I mean, you know, as an agent, one of the things that that was always so apparent to me was that I was around. You know, at the peak, we had about 300 athletes and coaches. I mean, you're around people that have to stay curious about how to get better, about yeah. new ways to, to eat, to physically train, to, to sleep, to recover, um, you know, the mind, all those things they are staying curious about because there is another stud ready to take their job all the time. I mean, yeah. whether you're Tom Izzo or Gino Ariamo or Chipper Jones or John Smoltz, I mean, those guys, what I consistently saw was they all had a little bit of fear inside them. Is there's somebody really, really good that wants to stand on this mound more than I, as much as I do. And so if I don't stay curious about how to get better, you know, I'm going to lose my edge. And so I think 15 years of being around that, it, it probably uh, now it's sort of in my bones and in my, in, in my blood. You know, I heard you in one of your speeches, Molly, I was listening to, you talked about a tennis coach at the age of 15 that talk to you about the baseline, behind the baseline, if I remember the phrase right, they're sharks. You've got to learn to attack, cut off the angle. You said that's something that you've replayed a lot through the years. What exactly did that phrasing that he said about working with you to be a better tennis player, how have you found that translating over to what you do now and the leader that you are now? Well, you're sweet. I mean, I, I think that, you know, what, what Rick Furman was my coach and, and what he said was, you know, you got to go after it, right? I mean, you, you got to step on the baseline, take the ball on the rise and you got to step into it, right? So instead of running across the baseline and letting the ball kind of continue to drop and sort of slow down, take it on the rise, you know, give your opponent less time to react and go for it, right? And so to me, it's analogous to just so many things in life, right? Mm -hmm. That that, you know, I mean, I'm not suggesting that we can't pause in life and, and process. I think all that's important. But I think when we think about how, how to get better, when we think about going after what we really want in life, we've got to step up and cross, you know, cut off the angle and go for it. You know, so often in life, people look at things that they want to go get and they say, gosh, I'm just not sure. And they continue to think about it. I mean, I think you've just got to start. And it doesn't mean that the way that you're starting is exactly right. But along the way, you'll learn. Right. I mean, when I started as an agent, I learned so much so early on. And then you just keep going, you keep going. And, 
you know, I saw that with my athletes, right? That every day they would just work a little bit harder and a little bit smarter. I mean, one of my favorite stories is, you know, Kobe Bryant was um, preparing for a game against the Bulls years ago. And, and one of the young guys comes into the, to, to the arena pregame. It was like a seven o'clock tip off or something. And Kobe was already in there working out, you know, and this kid had kind of a pregame routine and he was in there getting ready to do his little thing. And Kobe was in there sweating his head off when this young rookie shows up. And the rookie does his, does his little pregame routine, right? And the rookie sort of, I think it was Jay Williams, and he, and, he, and he sort of stays in there and he wanted to drain some 400 shots and then he was going to go back and get a sauna and a shower and get ready for the game. And so he does all that. And when he's done, Kobe's still, you know, out there grinding it. And, I mean, he wasn't just like, you know, throwing up shots and goofing around and, you know, checking his phone once in a while, right? I mean, he was in there doing real moves and sweating his head off and so so finally, after the game, Kobe drops 40 on the Bulls that night. And this rookie walks up to him and says, dude, I got to ask you, man, like, wow. I mean, when I got there, you were sweating like crazy. When I left, you were still going. And then you come out and you drop 40 on us. He's like, what's the deal? And Kobe says to Jay, he says, you know what, man? I just wanted you to know that no matter how hard you work, I'll outwork you. Wow. And yeah. And so I think that's what Rick was teaching me, you know, step in, cut off the angle, go for it. You know, I'll work them at some level. So it was a powerful lesson. And I think we all have moments like that in our lives that, that translate into, to, to, to other bigger moments sometimes, which is really it's, cool. It's so true. And, and so many times they came and I think for all of us that had a background in sports, they came in a environment where you didn't expect to hear something like that, that you're going to hold on to for the rest of your life, because it wasn't in a classroom, it wasn't in a book, it was a, it was a life transferable lesson. Do you feel like Molly, that fear keeps most people from wanting to attack? I know, you talk about moving from fear to curiosity, Do you, is fear sort of the, the thing that keeps people from moving into that most of the time you think? I think when you boil it all down, often what blocks most of us from, from, from anything that we want is, is fear, you know, even, and, and sometimes the fears are sort of weird, right? Fear of connection, fear of success, right? Fear of too much success. I mean, so, um, you know, I absolutely think fear is a big blocker. And that was why I wrote Fearless at Work was because when I really boiled it down, I thought, you know, what, is really, what really blocks people from being the best version of themselves every day? And what I began to believe through through lots of research and, and conversations was fear was sort of that baseline bar thing that, that, that often blocked people. And so, you know, we tried to sort of frame up lots of ways to rethink moments of fear for more positive and productive thoughts or behaviors or mindsets so that you could then shift through that and lean into it. Because what I saw athletes do, I mean, you know, when, when, you know, when guys are throwing game seven of a world series, they're nervous. I mean, they're scared, but they've stepped into those tough moments so much that when they're inside of game seven of a world series, for example, they're, they've been there before, you know, when guys step out on the line with two seconds left to, to drain two free throws, to win a game, they're afraid. They feel fear just like we do. I think sometimes people think these athletes or coaches don't feel it. They do but they lean into it rather than run from it. And the more that you do it, the more that we put ourselves in those situations in practice, the more that we shift the mindset in those moments, the better we get. That's really good. I love that shifting of the mindset is a big, big deal. 
why do you think that that most people always go to that last where they think, you know, I'll learn the skill, I'll read the book, I'll I'll go to the seminar, but that mind training that we have to do to be our best, why do you think that's something people go to last so many times? I think it's a default mindset that our mind gets kind of trained to default to. And that if we can have what I call kind of a performance mindset, then we can then begin to train our mind to not have that default mindset. I think it's a default truly that can be trained to shift over time, but it takes intentionality to do that. And, um, you know, because we all have it. I mean, we all kind of can default back to that. And I think that oftentimes is kind of how we, we are either wired at birth or we are wired through our life experiences that sort of put us in that spot. But, but we've got to shift out of that default mindset, recognize it, right? See that moment happen, embrace it, and then sort of evaluate a way to shift it. Boy, that's good. That is so good. And what I love about that, that's applicable to any profession, whether you're a high school coach, whether you're a business professional, doesn't matter. I mean, that is that is so true of each of our professions and to be our best. And here you are, a lady, you move to Atlanta, Georgia, you crack into the sports scene, you begin to climb the ladder. And it was a male-dominated industry, especially when you got started in it. Was it hard being a lady, cracking into that world? <laughs> you know, the truth is it was actually an awesome asset. And the reason it was was because I was different. And, you know, what I, what I quickly did was sort of reframe those moments when I could have been maybe defensive or frustrated or mad, you know, to wait a minute, this is actually really awesome because I'm different. I can support these guys and their families in a way that's maybe a little bit different than a traditional agent, you know, and there was tons of moments. I mean, there was moments when I'd walk into a general manager's office and he was wondering, what the heck did you bring your secretary to come and take notes for, for us in this meeting? You know what I mean? Like, what? I mean, is this woman your attorney? Like, why did you bring her? I mean, what's the deal? And, or I'd be behind the mound at a, at a big league game and it'd be batting practice and guys would come over and be talking to me and managers would yell at them and say, why, dude, why are you hitting on that chick? You know, quit it. And my guys would turn to them and say, dude, it's my agent. Leave me alone. Right. Chill. She's, you know, helping me with some stuff or getting me new spikes or a glove or what, you know, so um, or I'd be on the range at tour events and, and, you know, sometimes I'd walk inside the ropes on Tuesdays with my, my golfers and, you know, I'd be walking inside the ropes. I'd walk nine holes with them. We'd catch up. They'd practice, um, you know, for, for the tournament that week. And, you know, later my guys would tell me that people wondered, you know, had he gotten divorced and was this his new wife? And he's like, no, that's uh, no, that's my, my agent. So, you know, what I realized quickly was, you know what, this is a blessing. They, 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 number one, they remembered that. And when they, when other guys would sort of ask them who this person was, they, they obviously would remember that the other guys would. Number one and two, what I found was I could support the whole family in a way that was maybe a little bit different because as a wife and a mother, um, you know, I, I had a little bit of a different perspective, I think, than, than other people. And, you know, I could connect to these wives in a way that, I mean, you know, the, the guy would get traded from Detroit to San Francisco and he'd get on a plane two hours later and leave yep. because he had to pitch the next day. Right. So on one hand, I'm FedExing him the right color spikes and talking him off the cliff because he's mad that he got traded, maybe. 
And on the other hand, I'm on the phone with a wife because she's eight months pregnant and she needs to figure out where in the world she's going to deliver this baby. And she has two cars. She just bought a house. What are they going to do? The kids are in school. How does this work? And so I was able to, to sort of play both roles. And I think that was really, really powerful. So, you know, I always tell people it was an amazing asset. Um, and, and I, you know, always encourage more women to step into that space. And certainly anything I can do to support them, I'm, I'm here to do. And I love that. And that goes back to what you talked about a few minutes ago. That's a changing of your mindset. What could you could have seen as a liability really became your strength because you were able to fill different roles with these guys. And you've worked with some of the best. I mean, your 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 client list that we'll have on our show notes, your client list is ridiculous, but yet you used what other people would make an excuse out of to really swing in swing in your favor. So that is that is a really big deal. What were the what were some of the common traits? And you worked with leaders and you worked with athletes at that point in your career in all kinds of different fields. Were there a few common traits of the great ones that you say, man, as I look back at that, here are some things that the basketball player, the baseball guy, the golf, tennis, all these people you represented, here's some traits they had in common. Were there any things that stood out? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think, you know, number one, for example, Smoltz was a guy that always just has impressed me because he has a really high capacity, right? And what I mean by that is that, you know, John would come to the office before he would go down to the yard for, for a game and he would maybe be pitching that night. And, and I would sit with him for an hour and hear about all the stuff going on in his life, right? Because these guys are husbands and yep. sons and brothers and fathers. And so, I would hear about a lot of stuff, right. That was going on. And I mean, it was just a lot of stuff off the field. And then John would walk out on the mound that night and throw 80 pitches, you know, and just completely rock it. Right. And, and I thought, man, if the world knew what he was dealing with, so their capacity to navigate life, to compartmentalize and park things and execute was always fascinating to me. Right. I mean, I mean, I, I would be with Tom Izzo before a game and he would walk down and talk to, you know, 125 of the biggest donors 10 minutes before tip off. I'm like, Tom, you're getting ready to go tip off for, for a huge game. And you're talking to 125, 75 year olds about, you know, the game plan. I'm like, dude, most coaches don't do that. And he was like, well, that's what I've always done, man. I just can't stop doing it. And so, and then he would go out and totally lock in and, and, you know, be focused on what he needed to do. So their capacity, in my opinion, was always really pretty remarkable. Um, you know, they have a tremendous ability to recover from adversity. So, you know, they're, they're the best athletes or coaches in the world are going to have tough moments, but they recover from those moments fast and they don't let it unravel. I had, you know, I had baseball players that would struggle, but the best would not let it get in their head. And they would try to send themselves the right messages, watch the right videos, you know, make that shift as quickly as possible, whether it was a golf or a baseball player. So they, they could recover fast, you know, and then of course the best have, in my opinion, remarkable discipline. I mean, they, you know, you look at the behaviors of a Tom Brady, the way he eats, sleeps, prepares, it's, it's just, you know, many people would go, dude, that guy's crazy, but you know, success isn't an accident and it often takes a lot of discipline. And so, 
you know, that, and, and they're, and they're really accountable to themselves and to their teams for what they have clearly defined to be the expectations around all of them. And, and they stay disciplined around executing that, right? Like to me, great leaders, and I'm a big fan of Lencioni's work, are, are really clear on, on what success looks like and the process to get there. They stay focused on the present and the process. And then, you know, they trust the process because they've gotten clear on it. And then they hold themselves accountable to executing against it. And, and what they often find at the end is the result that they wanted. As you look at what you do, you play so many roles. Good grief. You, you are an agent, have been an agent. You're CEO, run your company. You're an author, speaker to some incredible organizations, teams. You know, you were just here in Atlanta at the Catalyst event. You do a podcast. Of those things that you do, which one of those do you feel most equipped to do? And which one of those do you say is probably the one that you really have to stretch yourself to do? Well, I would say, you know, one of the hats <laughs> that I wear that's the most important one, candidly, is, uh, you know, being a mother and a wife. And, and that is my favorite role. And, and I certainly feel, although I'm constantly learning, I have three teenage daughters. <laughs> God bless and, uh, you. And my husband and teammate. So we, we together, um, you know, are, are sort of riding that, that wave and, and obviously trying to do, you know, a great job as, as parents. but. Um, you know, what do I feel most equipped to do? You know, I, I spent a lot of time a while back and said, okay, what is my purpose? And all these things, right? Agent, CEO, speaker, podcast, author, those all fit inside of my purpose, which is to inspire and connect with courage and optimism. And what I basically say is if I can do that in all these categories, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm, I'm sort of playing the role that that God put me here to provide, to, to, to play, you know, I would say though, specifically, I actually think that I'm a better speaker than I was an agent. And I, and I think I did a great job as an agent. There's no question, but, but what I, I really feel like speaking is a place that um, I'm really, really comfortable. I feel like I can make a bigger impact. You know, as an agent, I was working with you know, a small team and, and, you know, hundreds of athletes. And I loved every minute of it, but I feel like as a speaker, I'm really in my, in my lane even more. So that's been really rewarding. You know, the challenging part for me, I'm not a really good operator. So I have to put good people around me that are operators because I'm not, that's not really where my strength is. Um, but I think, you know, when you, when you know what your blind spots are and you hire to solve for those and you trust the people that you put in those roles, you know, then you can live your mission. And so that's what I try to try, try to do. I, I love that. And I love that purpose. Um, I was with a group of college students over at uh, Kennesaw State last night, speaking to a group of athletes, and we were talking about purpose and you talking about inspiring and connecting. What role does your spiritual journey play in that? How, how is, how is your spiritual journey, Molly, helped you find that purpose that you believe that God put you here for? Well, I think, you know, you've got to create enough space in your life to listen and to hear that. And I think it took me time to do that. I, I you know, I was one of those people that, you know, a red light threw my day off because I was so busy and I still am, but I feel like I've, I've created a little bit more space. You know, I, I'm a 
you know, in Andy Stanley's Your Move app, he has this this one that he does. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of, I can't remember what it's called, but, you know, it's kind of creating space for yourself. So, um, you know, I think when you can create the space for yourself, you can listen and hear that messaging, right, from from God. And you can listen and and, and it allows you to, um, gain the clarity that you need to live the life that you believe he put you on here to live. And, you know, for me, um, I think as much as I loved being an agent, which I loved every minute of it, I mean, every, I got to do some of the coolest things in the world, but I've, I've never been more fulfilled than I am now in the role that I, that I play in my, in my business life. And I can't say that any of it was really my doing. I mean, I feel so fortunate that um, the agency that hired me, CSE did so. And, and I, and, you know, um, and I found myself in a space that was actually so perfect because I, I loved building relationships and I loved helping and serving these guys. It wasn't for me, it wasn't about being behind the plate at a, at a world series. It was really about these athletes are really special people with a really unique and special window of time to do something that lots of people have always wanted to do. And if I can help maximize that window of time for them, boy, is that really rewarding and fulfilling. And then, you know, I'm an agent and I love it. And then I've got young people coming in to meet with me and, you know, I'm watching these young people come in and meet with me. And I, and I really, and I'm enjoying supporting them, but I'm seeing a gap, right? I'm like, man, these young kids, I'm not sure they really understand how to recruit people that they want to work for. And simultaneously, I'm recruiting athletes, right? So I'm seeing this parallel between recruiting people you want to work for and recruiting athletes. And I'm starting to see a model and I'm watching these young people, in my opinion, miss it. And it made me so heartbroken because, you know, I would go to events and I would meet a 32-year-old man and he was married with three kids. He was making a nice living, but he hated his job. And I thought, man, that stinks. Like, gosh, you know, you work a lot in your life. Your wife now doesn't work. You're home. You're making a really nice living. You don't think you can go backwards now and go make sort of next to nothing in this words marketing business. And so it broke my heart. And so I wrote a book because I couldn't meet with all these young people to solve the problem. And so I thought, I'm just going to write a book and I'll give it away because I don't want to meet any more 32-year-old people that aren't happy in their jobs. That breaks my heart. And so I wrote a book and then companies started or colleges started saying, hey, will you come and talk about it? So I would go, you know, when I could, I would go do that for free and I loved it. And then I went and um, did one and there was this woman in the back of the room and at the end she said, you need to do this. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, you need to do this. And I said, do what are you talking? She said, you need to speak. And I said, well, gosh, that's really nice of you to say. I said, but gosh, I mean, I've got a really thriving agent business here and I love it. And I've got all these athletes and I could never leave these guys. I mean, she said, no, 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 just start doing some, you need to do this. And so I went and had lunch with her and she sort of told me what to do and she helped me do it. And this woman had written 57 books and, you know, been on the Today Show and spoke all over the world. And so then I thought, you know, there's a common thread between all these great athletes. I'm going to write a book about it, you know, because this other book's done pretty well. And, you know, so I wrote that book and that one did well. And then Merrill Lynch and Morgan Stanley, all these and nationwide, all these guys started calling. And then I started speaking and I was used to handing the check to the athletes at the speaking engagement. And now I'm going out and they're handing me the check and I'm going, whoa, you know, this is kind of weird. And so it just evolved. And so, you know, to bring it back full circle, you know, there is no way in the world I orchestrated that. 
Right. I mean, there's just no way in the world I orchestrated that. I mean, it wasn't intentional. I certainly would have never been able to roadmap that. It was about really, you know, it's like Arthur Blank told me, listen to the market and listen to your heart. And if you can solve problems for it, you know, then, then probably good things will happen. And, and, and so there is just all the little things that happened along the way, the one at the back of the room that said, you need to do this. And then she introduces me to a literary agent that now, you know, I'm working on another book now. I mean, that wasn't me. There's no way that was me. That was something bigger. And so that is probably the best way to answer your question of how it's guided me. It's changed everything, That's you know, and, and so I'm grateful for that. Certainly. Obviously. How, how do you keep that space now with so many things? You got a great podcast now that you've added to the mix along with your speaking. How do you keep that space so you can hear from the Lord, stay obedient to what he wants for you, be the great wife and mom first. And I love that answer that you were called to be. How do you create that space now? Well, you know, I wake up in the morning before everybody else does. And um, I get up, uh, you know, anywhere between, you know, just early, I don't know, whatever, 5.36. And I, get, and I have about an hour where I, you know, I drink my coffee and I have a couple of things I do. I do a gratitude journal. Um, I do a, uh, an app that helps me just stay locked in and centered. Um, it's sort of a combination of a quiet time and a meditation and, and thinking about all the most important people in my life and, and making sure that I'm serving them as, as best I can. And, and that, that really at the end of the day keeps me centered. And then I do something similar to that at night before I go to bed. And I think, um, you know, and then as, as, you know, my husband is so solid in his faith. And, you know, so together, you know, we sort of run, run down that lane together. And, and I think he, he keeps me locked in and centered too, for sure. You know, and then, you know, picking up the phone every day and talking to my parents and just staying rooted in what really matters. And, you know, they, they don't care, right? I mean, I could come off the stage and get in a car to explain after talking to 7,000 people and they're like, hey, where are you? And I'm Philadelphia. Oh, well, who'd you talk to? Blah, 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 blah. Oh, well, cool. Well, listen, your mom's at, you know, and, and I that's, mean, and that's that great. yeah, so that keeps you rock, rocking too. And that's a good thing. That is so good. What's the darkest day you've ever experienced? You've had so many incredible days in leadership and in life. What's the darkest day that you've had to navigate through personally? Well, I mean, you know, the darkest day for me was, you know, my daughter um, got seriously injured um, and she was, uh, you know, uh, at, a, at a baseball game and, and um, you know, she, she got hit with a, a baseball and that was the hardest thing that, that we have ever been through um, as a family. And she is doing well. Um, she was six at the time that that's one 100% the hardest thing that we've, we've ever been through, uh, as a family. Yeah. It was, you know, brain surgery, fragments of the brain, you know, throughout the brain, emergency surgery, all that stuff. So needless to say, I'm forever indebted to, uh, children's healthcare of Atlanta. <laughs> and when they call me for anything, I jump. The, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Yeah. Now, I, you know, we were talking. We were talking even before we went on the air today, Molly, about how much I'm enjoying your podcast. Is that something you've always thought about doing, or is that something somebody talked you in? Hey, this gives you a chance to get even more people exposed to great leaders that are out there. How did how did the podcast come about? 
You know, it it, uh, it it was really just an opportunity to stay connected to great people and to learn from them. I mean, I'm a huge fan of podcasts. I listen to tons of them. And, you know, from Tim Ferriss to, um, I mean, you know, Jacko is a seal that I like his stuff. But, but it, you know, it, it was sort of, gosh, I was listening to him and I loved him. And then I began to think about um, a pretty awesome network of, of leaders and athletes and coaches. And I thought, gosh, if I could keep bringing some of this to life in a real way with them saying it, not always maybe me, boy, this could be really cool. And so it's been just it's been so fun to do. I, I, you know, again, I, I am forever curious about ways to get better. So as much as I know that I'm serving the listeners that, that subscribe and, and listen, I know that I'm, I'm also nourishing myself because I learned so much, right. From, from a Gino Ariama, you know, Izzo or all the mama Jan who we launched today. I mean, all those guys and gals, I, I learned so much from. So so, you know, there's certainly a bit of a selfish component. And then there's, of course, the, the, the impetus around it was how, how, how can we continue to serve the people that are digging, digging the stuff that we're putting out? That's so good. Well, you are, you're doing a great job and you're, uh, what I love about your podcast and I'm a podcast nut. Anytime I'm in the car, I've always got something on. One of the things I love about it's the variety of people that you have on. I mean, you have people from all different industries, all walks of life. And we're going to put a link, of course, in the show notes to that. And I know many, many, many already listen to you. And you are just FYI, you're doing an awesome job, not only getting the guest, but digging in and doing a great job with the guests that you get. They've been really, really good. Really good. Well, it's fun to do. And I love yours too. I mean, this is great. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly humbled to be able to to support you and jump on this one. Well, we are honored. Final question of the day. When, when life's said and done, you're, you're sitting there at that point in life where there's more in the rearview mirror than there is out the windshield. And you're thinking about, you're thinking about life and you're thinking about the people that you love around you. What do you want the people that know you best to say about you? What do you want to be said about you at that point? Yeah, you know, I, I I think a lot about that. I I think I want them to say, you know, she she inspired me every day to be to be better. You know, she led me in a way to help me to be better, and she cared more about relationships than anything else in life, and and was generous both in time and resources with those with those relationships. I think that you know when I when I sort of stand there at eighty five or ninety or whatever it is, whatever it is. And I look back, you know, I think about that. I think about my 90th birthday party. Who's going to be there and what are they going to say? And, and those are things I hope that are, that are said. That is awesome. Well, Molly, thank you so much. Thanks for the incredible work you're doing. And thank you for being out there inspiring and getting people connected and helping people find the purpose that they were created for. You are, you're an amazing leader and it has been an honor to spend a little bit of time with you. Well, Mike, as are you, and it's a pleasure to, to, to be on with you, and thank you for what you do. I hope you enjoyed that time with Molly. You know, one of the, one of the things that stood out to me in our conversation is the hunger that she still has to be the person that she was created to be. You know, you think you reach the level she's reached, negotiated contract for some of America's greatest leaders in their fields. She is speaking on massive platforms, featured in ESPN, Fast Company, Forbes, Sports Illustrated. But there's still a hunger in her and still a drive in her.
and still a person that's seeking out that ability to be the person that she was created to be. And I love that. And what I love about that is I think the longer we stay in our fields, the longer we stay in the places that God's put us, it's, a, it's, a, it's easy at times to get on cruise control. It's easy at times to push pause and go, well, you know what, I'm, I'm going to ease up a little bit. There is no ease up in Molly. In fact, she is as driven today as the day that she Atlanta, arrived in Atlanta in 1993 trying to get involved in the Olympics. It's an incredible story, and I love the I love that part about how hard it was to leave, and how hard it was on her family for her to leave from up north and move here to the south. But man, that hunger that burned in her made all the difference, and she still got that hunger. And you hear it when she's on the platform. You hear it in her podcast. And what I love about Molly is is being that leader that leads with their faith out in front. They're not keeping what they learn to themselves. She's giving it away through her books that she's written, which you'll see in the show notes, to her amazing podcast, which I've referenced a couple times. Molly is out there getting it done. Thank you, Molly, for sitting down with us this month on Lynch with a Leader. It really was an honor to have you and an honor to spend that time with you. Well, on our next episode of Lynch with a Leader, we stay in that lane of great leadership by sitting down with Sam Chan. Dr. Sam Chan is known across the world as one of the foremost experts in leadership. His book, Leadership Pain, was a game-changing book in my journey, and it will be one in yours. And I'm telling you, he's got a new book out. We'll be talking about it in the podcast. But Sam Chand is a difference maker. And that's who we're going to sit down with next episode. I hope you'll look him up because you are going to, he may not be a guy that you know, but across the world, he is known by thousands as the guy in leadership. And I cannot wait for you to listen in. So thanks again for tuning in to Lynch with a Leader. If you enjoy this episode, I hope you'll share it with somebody. Let them know about it. Share it on your media, on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram on one of your media platforms. And if you could too, if you could go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio, leave a review because every time you leave a review, it helps others find their way. Our goal isn't this massive number of listeners, which would be great. But our goal is to make a difference in this world by leaders leading with their faith out in front and finding the people that they were created to lead and being confident in that leadership. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, I hope you have a super day. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.